Maybe the topic of sex in your marriage has been something that's been hard for you to talk about. Well, today's episode, we get to bring in a friend and someone we believe to be an expert. Keep listening. This is everything. Left hands with the heavy reins. I ain't scared of the marriage thing. I ain't scared of the marriage thing. Had to say it twice on a mind. Welcome to the A More Excellent Way podcast with Dr. James and Nicola Hawkins. Here, we seek to inspire and equip couples and families to go about their relationship with God and each other in, in a, a more, more excellent, excellent way. way. I am really glad to have my friend and an expert in this topic with us today. We have Dr. Lori Watson, who will be a guest with us. She is the director of Awakenings. She is a certified sex therapist with 30 years of experience working with couples and individuals about love and sex. And I'm very glad. And just, I've heard her. She is also the host of a very popular podcast called four play radio couples and sex therapy. And it's ranked in the top 10 in iTunes under sexuality. She's also written a book called wanting sex again, how to rediscover desire and heal a sexless marriage. We are very honored to have with us today. Dr. Lori Watson. How you doing, Lori? Good. Thank you for having me. It I is. too am honored to be with you guys. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and definitely from the moment I met you and I've been listening to your podcast with you and with George, and I really respect you and we've got to develop a friendship. And this is an area where I love, when I hear you talk about it, it's information that I get to take into my office every day and work with couples who are struggling in this area, maybe not even just struggling. What I feel for so many couples is particularly in Christianity, is we do put a lot of don't do this, don't, don't, mm-hmm. don't, 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 wait, 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 don't sexually fall. And we can put up all these guards. And those guards make some sense because, you know, even in the Songs of Solomon it says, do not awaken love before it so desires, like guarding this piece of you because it's valuable and precious. But we don't all, always treat it as valuable and precious. We almost treat it like danger. And then our bodies can even begin to read it as danger. And then even when, so now when it comes time, when it's like it is open and we can be in it, now we've lost, we don't have the words for it because we've hidden mm-hmm. from it for so much. And then our body can send off these funny signals. And then I see so many newly married couples of, they just get so caught up in the performance of it. All that to say is, I'm glad to have you here mm-hmm. because I want to Absolutely. be able to help these people. Maybe, so I'm just going to open it up here with a very general question. For someone who's been doing this for over 30 years, how would you meet that couple in your office that's just maybe, there's not been any affair or anything traumatic in this place? but they're just struggling in being able to talk about their sexuality. How would you join them there, Lori? Well, I think you've brought up so many things in just what you've said that are important. And I think this is a good starting place. You know, one thing that I know is that everybody at some point or another struggles with sexual problems. And that's certainly not something that our culture tells us that, you know, it looks like everybody has it easy and sex is just wide open and, we kind of imagine that everybody is having better and more sex than we are. Right. Yeah. And I think especially if you come from a culture that says wait before marriage, you know, I started my career teaching in a premarital class in a big church in Southern California, actually. And one of the things that me was that all the young couples who came back to me afterwards uh, to seek therapy, most of them were coming back for sexual problems. And it's not what we imagine. We think, you know, it's the honeymoon. They should just be having the greatest time. But there's a lot that needs to happen to form a really long-lasting, lifelong sexual partnership. And we don't realize how much work goes into it. 
Wow. So you say that there's a lot that goes into it. Can you name off maybe one or two or three of those things? Sure. I like to think of it as the who, what, when, why. Who, what, when, um, why. You know, who okay. is supposed to initiate between the couples? That's good. Um, frequently, you know, we're socialized, I think, especially as women to be uh, subordinate in terms of sexual initiation. And men are taught that they're the ones who and our model that they're the ones who are supposed to sexually initiate. And that can lead to a lot of misunderstandings because Absolutely. men want to know that they're sexually desirable. And there's times that women want to be able to act on their own feelings of desire and know that that's okay. Then kind of the when, you know, many times couples struggle over when they should have sex. Maybe one person's a morning person and the other person's a night person. Right. When I was first married, for sure, I was a night person, and my husband was more of a morning person. He wakes up in the morning, and he's just full of life and energy. Right. <laughs> so I was um, you know, early married, and of course, when we were young, we had small children, and I'd be nursing the babies and feeding the babies in the middle of the night and just exhausted by the morning, and then I have my partner who's wide awake, and Ready to go. by the time the night rolled around, I had kind of caught up and I was ready and he'd be, you know, nearly fast asleep. So I know what it's like to struggle in this way. We can't seem to find the right time. But so that's one of the things that needs to be worked out in early marriage is when are we going to have sex? Right. And then there's what are we going to do when we have sex? Uh You know, when you're longtime lovers, you, you kind of know how to take cues off of each other and you know what you're in the mood for, or at least hopefully you develop that. But it's really something that has to be worked out early in a marriage. You know, when one person approaches the other, it may be, you know, I want this really long, romantic occasion of slow sex. And the other one may be thinking, okay, I got just enough energy to uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so what we're going to do in bed you know, it's who's going to initiate, Right. when are we going to have it, what are we going to do in bed? Um, all of those questions are sort of tasks that need to be worked out. And, and I would say the last thing that is really important okay. is how are we going to talk about it? Yes. That's good. What language are we going to use? Um, what feels uh, appropriate to our partner may feel dull. To the other person or what feels too racy to one person may feel like that's wrong to talk like that. And so we really have to find a common language that both is loving and exciting enough and doesn't cross anybody's boundaries. Right. That's tough. That is that's tough. tough to <laughs> I like that part. Finding a common language that, that works for both and doesn't cross anyone's boundaries. But to even get there, they've got to be able to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. What have maybe been it, some of the biggest barriers you've seen to people being able to get to that place to where we're even talking about talk these about questions? Because these questions, you know, who's supposed to initiate all those is I've even got to be able to just talk. What have been some of the biggest barriers you've seen to people even entering the discussion? I think, uh, Dr. Hawk, that, you know, there's a mindset that says sex should happen naturally. Uh, and especially yeah. if. If we're Christians and we've waited, there's this sense of, 
you know, we need to just wait for the blessing of God, right? <laughs> for it to be smooth and erotic and sensuous and easy and natural. And so I saw lots of young people come through my office and still do because I also live in the South where that's a very strong ethic uh, among the Christian Southerners that mm. they would wait for marriage. And so this idea of now when I get to the other side of the altar, it should just happen. And right. We shouldn't need to work or talk about it. Talking about it ruins the mood I hear. And wow. talking about it is just going to make it so mechanical. And there's all this um, freight on a conversation, but you know what? Sex is so important mm-hmm. and it's so complicated. We need to be able to talk about it. That's right. So first it's just a mindset that says, yes, this very lovely and important part of our life is going to need lots and lots of conversation and education. I mean, so many people don't really know how their own body works or how their partner's body works. Mm. And without conversation and telling and showing and talking about that, we just don't have a, a chance to please each other. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, let's catch that line. I love that. That line hit me when she said that without even talking about it, we don't even have like that just totally kills our chances of even trying to please each other. When there's a barrier or a breakdown, and I know we use the term intimacy as code word for sometimes for sex, but I do want to say when there's a barrier to intimacy, this common, this being able to share my inner world with and meet your inner world, then we cut off the ability to please each other, even in our sexual expression. Y'all catch that. Wow. Thank you so much. Because I think sometimes in therapy, what happens is people want us to come in and immediately focus in on the physical kind of like intercourse part, but you're even bringing in, I even want to know the steps and the moves before sexuality comes up. That is so good. And I want to say this too, for people that might want to think about going to therapy for this, because I just heard this in the podcast with you and George that I love that you said, you know, sometimes people will come into me, Lori, and they'll want to talk about it, but then they don't want you to really ask questions. But then that leaves you as a therapist in a one down position because you don't know where they're really getting stuck or what's the hard place for them. And you said something on the last podcast that said, look, your therapist is not trying to be a voyeur, but they are going to want to ask you. And I'm going to take some of what you just said. We need to know about what happens when you even try and have this conversation. What goes on there? Does it even happen? Does it get blocked? Does it shut down? Does shame come online or some trauma from the past? But then we do need to be able to talk about these things of who initiates when you initiate, how do you try to initiate what happens in your body when your husband tries to initiate with that puts his hand on the small of your back? What do you feel in your body when you're in the sexual act? What do you feel happen in your body there? What do you do when your wife does this? You're trying to get that play by play because so many times if something happens in a little micro move of it and your body has a funny response and what happens for the couple, they exit the process and they either leave in pain or shame or That's it's fair. your fault, it's my fault. But then because we can't talk about it and we can't kind of go back and review it, then we can't ever go forward. So I just yeah, want to say, like, I, you, you being able to do that as a couple and doing with a therapist is huge. What were you going to say, Dr. Watson? It is huge. I, I think what you talked about, people are afraid of and why they avoid couple therapy and sex therapy. I, I, I think most people don't 
sex therapy is. And let me just say that as a licensed professional, Mm -hmm. sex therapy is all talk therapy. It's not, there's no nudity. There's no sexual touching in the therapy. There's no exchange of sexual touching between the therapist and the couple. This is Mm -hmm. strictly psychotherapy. It's, it's talking therapy, but it's talking about this really explicit part mm-hmm. of our lives, which, like you said, you know, we have may have never spoken to each other about. Maybe our parents didn't really talk to us. Maybe we didn't have a girlfriend that we could talk to. And I don't think most guys talk about it, you know, very much in helpful ways. Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, I think it is really a fearful thing mm-hmm. to, to, to imagine going to counseling mm-hmm. and talking with anybody about this, let alone something that sounds so crazy like a sex therapist. Um, but I, I kind of see myself really, and I always have seen myself as a couples therapist mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, while mechanics are important and we really want to get that right, um, our heart is important too. And, and, and we have sex in the context of hearts that love each other and it's within that, I think, that often most of the dynamics are problematic is, is when we got, get caught in the negative cycle. And I, I'm sure you've talked about this with your people already. Mm-hmm. But the negative cycle of one person wanting more, more intensity in their sexual experience than the other. And that may mean more frequency or it might mean, you know, wanting to do different things than their partner wants to do. And the other mm-hmm. partner not necessarily not liking sex. The sexual withdrawer may like sex, but they actually guard against an intense experience. That feels a little beyond their control. So yes, it's true that sometimes they do monitor frequency and what is being done, but it's this place that most people get stuck. Mm -hmm. As well as I think a little bit of education would be helpful Mm-hmm. Well, for most couples to have entering a sexual relationship. Yeah. And I want to, I do want to recommend that as a resource um, on uh, Dr. Watson and George Fowler's podcast, the foreplay radio, they have, I think at least I know for sure too, where they talk about the sexual pursuer and the sexual withdrawer. And they do a really good job of meeting, of explaining what does it mean to be the person who's predominantly in the role of, of being the sexual pursuer? Um, and what is it that they're looking for? What are the messages they get? What are their, their, their struggles and what are their hopes there? And then they do a great episode for the person who's a sexual withdrawer and meeting them. And what is that withdrawing place? Uh, what, the, what is the messages they get there? What are they needing there? I want to recommend that you really go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and listen to those two episodes for sure. But a line you said in there, Dr. Watson, that was really big to me is why we want to talk about the mechanics of sex our hearts matter as well. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful line. And so we can't ignore the time and the season in which we're recording this. And so, Nicola, you were bringing up a little bit of an aspect of this, but I want people to get that line. Your hearts matter as well. Yeah. And so one of the things you were th- talking about, Nicola, is when couples are going through a lot of stress. Yeah, you know, like definitely um, within the season, you know, going on your heart matters as well. Our hearts are deeply troubled right now and concerned about, you know, what's going on from a worldwide stance, you know, and so when there's just this high end anxiety or even a, a, a sense of depression may come in or just those shifting in moods and maybe fear of the future, not sure, just 
just an increase in anxiety or increase in stressors that comes in. And then now it's impacting how you're looking at your, your, your spouse, you mm. know, as far as the desire there for sex is maybe lessened for one or heightened for another. And so then how do you walk into that in this season and dealing with like, I don't know, just the, the desire and, and such. So. Well, I think you said something that's so important, Nicola, that for some people, first, first of all, this is a desperately stressful time in our world with mm. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people who are dealing with the loss of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are dealing with the loss of their health and the loss of their income. And talk about all the stressful things that could happen. I mean, we are right in the middle of it. And so, mm-hmm. again, our hearts, prayers, go out to those of you who are struggling. Uh, And we know all of us feel extra anxiety right now. Mm -hmm. And for many people, anxiety is preoccupying. And they they can't let themselves free enough to enter something that is supposed to be a playful, joyful time when they're burdened with preoccupying thoughts and worry and Mm -hmm. stress. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's definitely something that for many people I'm hearing you know, sex is uh, happening less frequently, right. uh, not as fun. But for other people, um, you know, sometimes stress, they need a sexual release to kind of get out of that stressful place. Mm-hmm. And for them, they're looking to their partner and to the marriage as a place that they can discharge mm-hmm. some of this these bad feelings and feel something good. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is, um, sex is a place of renewal for them. Mm -hmm. And very frequently as this happens, often one of those partners is married to the other, the opposite. (laughs) Right. You (laughs) know, when we talk about the pursuer, the one sexually withdrawing and one sexually pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes. And, you know, when we're healthy in a sex life, it's, we can use sex in many ways. We can use it to share and express our intimacy and our love for each other. We can, you know, find just joy and pleasure in the sensations. We can use it to fall asleep. We can use it to contain our worries and our stress mm-hmm. in a healthy time and in a healthy relationship. Uh-huh. Sounds like some food. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. Get those good dopamine release. <laughs> Right. But sometimes our sex life gets overburdened mm-hmm. and um, we have to be sensitive to mm-hmm. how we're using um, sexual desire or sexual need. Yeah. Uh, because our partner may say, you know, you're just, you just want sex, right? You just want sex to go to sleep. You're not wanting me. Right. And right. many times, the person wants to feel desired and desirable. And so they feel put off by their partner's need to use sex in ways that are not intimacy related. Right. And and then there are other times really, you know, when we care about our partner and our own caretaking cycle kicks in and we say, you know, honey, you're so stressed out. Please let's go to bed and mm-hmm. have a little sex so that you can just, relax last night you were grinding your teeth all night and I just know if we have sex you wouldn't right. you know I mean many right. many different things can be healthy but but where we get into problems is when it's all one thing and the partner 
starts to feel this is not how I am comfortable having sex. I don't right. want to meet your needs to go to sleep. I want to use sex perhaps as a romantic and intimate expression. And so, yeah, I think you're dead on in terms of seeing that this season is very difficult because we have worldwide stress that is unprecedented. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, right. I want to comment on the move that Dr. Watson just did there. Um, it was beautiful because what she did and why I wanted her on this podcast is she has this great range of uh, being able to talk about this subject in a very honoring and loving way. What I mean by that is there's this place where you can just talk up sex and like do it. It'll make you feel good. Blah, blah, boom, And that right. matters. But then there's this other part. And I love what you said when you said like, for, to be so liberating for a wife to be able to say, honey, I see you in distress in there. Come on, let's go do this. Let's go have some sex, you know? Mm-hmm. There's some husbands right now as they listen to this, they're high-fiving, they're turning. They're like, hey, you know what? We need to listen to this more because we podcast some more. <laughs> let's listen to foreplay radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this place when you talked about that, but then I liked how you balanced it and came back to, but let's be careful because while you might be serving a need for you, how is it landing for your partner on Absolutely. the other side? Mm-hmm. Because they also want to feel desirable. And so being able to back it up to, to, and, and slow it down, but then also celebrate it, that's really beautiful. Which it kind of goes back to one of the things she was talking about earlier. It was like, if it becomes a sense of a negative barrier, you know, it just kind of lessens that that pleasure or in that aspect of, you know, that felt sense of, of closeness and how you want to feel like this is a successful, I don't know, exchange even, <laughs> you know, um, and not let it become something mechanical. So a huge part of what we've so far discussed is conversation. So even being able to say, you know what, I am feeling, you know, stressed or mm-hmm. I'm feeling these different kinds of ways. And so just being able to, I think, um, have that going back to that beginning space of having that dialogue Mm-hmm. Um, and conversation right. that opens you back up to this place of intimacy, which can lead in that direction or not, but you know, more so having the conversation. Yeah. So even as we get ready to move towards, I really want to keep asking her more questions if I'm honest, <laughs> but even the thing that I'm hearing here is even when we're talking about sexuality or sex um, that you've talked about, there is the mechanical part and that needs to be investigated because I've heard you definitely talk so well about on your podcast about different medical issues that can become barriers and things of that nature. And even that it's okay to do things like as, cause I know one of your sponsors is like a sexual, sexual lubricant. And for some people, that's even a place to go. Like for me as a, a I'm saying like for a wife, it's like, is there something wrong with me? Am I communicating something to my spouse by needing a lubricant? Am I saying to them that I don't find them desirable enough that my body's not responding when that's not true. That is actually okay. Or for a guy to all medically take that as a shot to himself and like, oh gosh, I'm not turning her on enough. I'm not enough for her to make her body respond to me in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's the mechanical part. But then I love what you said. There's a heart part to all of this. Well, as mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And you have to address all of those. Were you going to say this something there, Dr. Watson? I think that if you would like me to, I'd love to just give a tiny thread about mm-hmm. a man and a woman's mechanics. Please do. Uh, because, you know, this is not something, I, I give this talk to many different universities. I give this talk to OBGYN residents. In fact, I'm the only hour that the Duke OBGYN residents ever get on sexual functioning. Whoa. Um, but talking to people, I mean, it's very hard 
to get adequate and good sex education about the mechanics. And I'll just take a couple of minutes to go through things that I know, because what you just talked about, uh, Dr. Hawkins, is, you know, for instance, this idea about lubrication, that sometimes, you know, we need it. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it more pleasurable right from the beginning. And it doesn't mean that her body is failing or that he has failed her in any way. I mean, actually, lubrication, for instance, is a very unreliable sign about where a woman feels herself subjectively in terms of climbing the mountain of arousal. Mm. So women, I'm going to just use four stages, and and that desire, arousal, orgasm, and resolution. And resolution is what we think of as the afterglow. And in desire, a woman is really very low in terms of the foothills of her sexual experience. She may not feel anything. Most women don't feel anything much at all in terms of their body sparking until they've been touching and caressing for about 20 minutes. In fact, most women don't like direct stimulation until they do feel something sparking in their bodies about 20 minutes later. And then most women need about 20 minutes. And I'm going to say the word that is basically the word that is never said on the radio, but (sighs) she needs about 20 minutes of clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm. And that's a very long time. And this is, this is brand new information for many people, but only 7% of all women reach orgasm through sexual intercourse, through the actual act of penetration. And I'll say it again because I Mm -hmm. think it's important. And we have new data on this. I used to say 50% of women don't uh, or can reach orgasm through sexual intercourse. But the new data is showing only about 7%. Wow. But about 100% of women reach orgasm through clitoral stimulation, and they need quite a bit of it. And then after orgasm, basically oxytocin is released. This is a hormone that gives us a chemical bonding with our partner. Whereas for men, when we think about their sexual functioning, they can see their wife come out of the shower. They can have an erection. In about two to five minutes, they can have sexual intercourse, reach orgasm, and be done. And the most common thing between these partners is the woman feels somehow or another inadequate. She often says, I take so long. I can't orgasm the right way or the Mm -hmm. real way, which is the way she's seen couples do it in the movies, Mm -hmm. which is through sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. And he feels sometimes, what's wrong with me? Why can't she match me? Why Why does it take her so long? Am I not sexual enough? Um, you know, am I not doing it right that makes her come to a peak, you know, in the way that I've seen in the movies or the way that I've seen, you know, in explicit material? And so these two people can come away from this experience, which is actually very normal to have such a great disparity and a great difference in their arousal patterns, feeling like failure. Mm. Both of them can feel like, I didn't do it right. I'm Mm. not right. My body isn't working right. Mm. My body's not good enough. And I just, I think it's so tragic because Mm -hmm. between the gender, we are so different. Mm -hmm. And, 
And mechanically, we're so different. And what we need is so different. Mm-hmm. And it can't always be the way she needs it. And it can't always be the way he needs it. And then to, to make things more complicated, mm-hmm. women often need a really huge chunk of emotional connection mm-hmm. in there to feel safe enough to, to let their bodies mm-hmm. down to get aroused, mm-hmm. to get aroused in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and men don't need as much emotional connection. In fact, they often find emotional connection in the sexual experience. Mm-hmm. So we we are really different in terms of the genders. Does that, that help at all? Man, that, that helps was... a whole lot. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And I want to tie that in back into how you started. That to develop this, to really grow and develop and really strengthen the bond in this area, because this is about developing a bond. That it's not something that's just automatic. It's a bond that a couple builds through intentional work, conversations, practice, and even sometimes what that feels like disappointment and misses. Yeah, yeah. But it, it and it's and it's actually a beautiful thing though, because you get to build your own sexual bond and unity together. It's not what you see on TV. It's not what you experience, even if you were with someone else. It's I'm building something with you. You are building something with me. And the only way we can do this is by talking and allowing ourselves to be honest about what brings us uh, joy and satisfaction. And even the differences you just mentioned for a husband and wife, I think that just creates a way where they have to learn how to dance together. And it could be a great opportunity for even a husband who might have that drive, but to be able to slow down and take in the, the beauty and sensuality of his wife and, and the wife to even at times to be able to feel like she can embrace this part of her and that it's welcome and she can fully celebrate it. And who she is, is, is cherished and honored there by this man that's with her that then makes her body begin to feel even more safe and, 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 and respected in that place. And then it allows her body to feel safer in these moments. Right. So it's just so much. And it's not just like you said about the mechanics, because that carries over, I think, and even to the way you handle conflict and different issues, because it's like we learn to we practice this dance there and we can do that same dance here of being able to bond and connect with each other. So I think that was very helpful, Dr. Watson. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, We really appreciate you and what you do in the community and. Thank you for helping all those medical doctors and helping us therapists and helping couples really be able to celebrate this year. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Lovely to get to know the two of you a little bit more. I appreciate, I also appreciate that you're a married couple doing this. That's so vulnerable Mm. to share each other and share this work that you're doing as a couple. I think that's wonderful. So definitely, Thank once you. again, you can go onto her website. You can go through, four, if you listen to Foreplay Radio, you'll hear her and George, they do couples intensives around these topics. If you want to reach uh, Dr. Watson in any way, you want to read her book, definitely you can, we'll make sure to put her contact in our show notes. So you all, I think the excellent point really for today um, is that this is not just about the mechanics, it's about the heart. So definitely being able to examine those physical parts in your relationship, but those places that can be relational barriers Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. and that it's okay. Like she said, that everybody at some point struggles with sexual problems. That was freeing. That was good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that the hope in it is not just try harder or blame yourself or beat yourself up or blame your partner, beat your partner up Mm -hmm. that the hope really in this place is that we can have conversations 
that allow us to feel safe and bonded and connected, even just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And what I've actually found for some couples that they, that that helps that sex life just to be able to have the conversation sends a safety signal to their body. And then it also awakens desire in them because now they can talk freely about something that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you have anything, Nicola? Oh, no. When she was talking, y'all were talking, I was like, mm, just that seemed like uncomfortable. <laughs> that could be uncomfortable. Just just that, that taking in of the spouse, that could be uncomfortable for some people. Mm-hmm. I remember early, you know, in our earlier stages. And so I, I just imagine, you know, um, or we've walked through that just getting comfortable having the tidbits of conversation, you know, the dialogue and things like that. That's the only way you're going to get over that hump. That's right. You know, so. <laughs> is there a pun there or something no. like that? All right. Any- <laughs> Thank y'all so much. We've enjoyed talking to you. We hope that you have been inspired and equipped to go about your relationship with God and others in a more excellent way. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A More Excel Way. And check out our website at A More Excellent Way Relationship.com. Visit KLRC.com to learn more about the More Excellent Way.